You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and the Business Hour on America's Web Radio. And we have a guest in today, Jeff Friedel. And uh, Jeff is sitting across from me and uh, is... Um, in an interesting business that uh, I don't question the business. I just don't know how he can keep up with all different kinds of businesses, but he is in the consulting business. So, Jeff, welcome to America's Web Radio and our roundtable. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, why don't you take up what I started with and uh, tell us a little bit more about what you do in your consulting business. Sure. So I'm an old guy. I've been around for a long time and done a bunch of different things in my life. How come my hair is whiter than yours? Well, you're just the good-looking one in the room, that's all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nothing like a comment from the peanut gallery. Yeah, yeah that's the real youngster over there. Um, anyway, in my experience, I've come to see many different things, and a lot of the challenges that folks in the workplace face are the interpersonal dynamic. How do we work together? How do we work for someone else? What does a good boss actually do for me? And unfortunately, so many different workplaces struggle solving that problem. They're not exactly sure how to treat their people well. They're not exactly sure how to treat the company well. And what I can bring is a wealth of experience and a process to help them solve some of their problems. So did this experience come from from you working with other people or working for other people or through a successful business that you had? David, that's a great question. And mostly my learnings have come from things that were done poorly. I've, been, I've had lots of great bosses, and I remember them, but the ones that really stick in my mind are the ones that weren't that good. And a lot of times they were simple problems, easy things that could have been solved had they been just a little bit better, had they been just a little bit more compassionate. So you went to West Point. And, I did. Uh, and then you got your master's? At Columbia University Columbia. in New York. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So uh, what was your master's in? Uh, finance. And I ended up working on Wall Street for a couple of years. Hmm. Uh, a large investment bank. It just happens to be called Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Uh, and I worked in a number of different capacities at that firm and learned a lot from the leadership there. Great people, brilliant people, some better than others. Well, I guess that's true in in all cases. Yes. uh, That's why they have the ladder of success, I guess. Uh, Some people are better than others. Sometimes a ladder, sometimes an elevator. Depends Ah. kind of where you're coming from. But, yep. Mm -hmm. So I think I would be somewhat negligent because every it's on everybody's mind anyway what is uh our little pandemic done for your business so when everything shut down that brought my business pretty much to a standstill however what I think is happening now and what I'm seeing are people reflecting on the experience 
and they've got a little bit of time to actually think, what would be the right answer? How can I restructure my business to be better? Um, There's a ton of things going on in the workplace now, not just work from home that's been exacerbated by this pandemic, but there's a lot of other interesting things that are developing thanks to AI and machine learning, thanks to having multiple generations in the workforce coexisting, it's creating an, uh, an opportunity for those companies that want to make a difference to actually be intentional and do some good things. What, what would, uh, you know, with the situation that we're in and... Um, the mask business and all of this and i assume in in your consulting you work with the employer and the employee or the boss and the employee or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, you know this social distancing and all the other crazy things that are going on and uh, as you're aware we don't wear masks here we never have and nobody's gotten sick and we uh do the hand cleaner and the spraying after folks are in and out but um you know i didn't feel like we were at high risk to begin with and now we've all had our vaccines and i guess we're at less risk i hope but uh so how has that changed the the structure of businesses with you know whether it's a mandated wear mask or or this Susie wants you to wear a mask, but Bill doesn't, and so, you know, there's some there's a lot of conflict today. There's a huge amount of conflict, and I think that the pandemic gives us a great platform to investigate exactly what's going on here, uh, because people do have different opinions and different perspectives. And the question, I think, the bigger question that goes beyond just the pandemic and beyond just the masks is how much do you respect the other person and do we actually treat each other like human beings in the workforce or just another factor of production, just a bunch of workers? I think that one of the biggest challenges is that we don't listen to people, we don't talk to people, we don't share how we feel enough so that we can actually develop trust one of my biggest experiences was I thought I had a boss that really cared about me at one point until things got tough and I was the first one kicked to the curb. Hmm. He said, it's just business. That was not the way that I had understood our relationship to be. So there was lack of clarity there. Now, you can run a great business without treating people well as long as everyone knows that that's the deal. It's kind of the thing about culture. You can have a hard culture, a soft culture. You can wear masks, you can wear no masks. Whichever way you choose to go, you can still be successful. The one thing that I think is problematic is if you can't really state what you believe. In other words, if no one knows, should I wear a mask, should I not wear a mask? Are we working 12-hour days or not 12-hour days? Do you care what I do or do you care what gets done? If those questions still exist in the workplace, 
it may not be toxic, but it certainly isn't healthy. With that being said, and, and uh, you know, I, I have, uh, I'm no different from anybody else. I, I do some things well and some things not so well. But mm-hmm. uh, how important today is everything to be black and white, contractual. And, you know, when I grew up many years ago, as you pointed out, uh, mm when i grew up the the handshake was still your bond and uh that's the way my dad ran his business and uh you know and he got had by some people but at the same token he was a very uh uh christian a very good christian and uh he had the philosophy of if no matter and and he had gone to law school but uh he wasn't a lawyer but he uh had the theory that no matter how much paperwork you have if somebody's going to take advantage of you they're going to take advantage of you or they're going to try to and uh you know and he had a saying if they can live with it i can live without it and uh i've been there done that in my career at this point and uh it doesn't make you feel any better, but, you know, I think, like my dad did, that uh, everybody's like me, and unfortunately they're not. And uh, mm-hmm. honesty has been taken... Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like in what you're seeing today that honesty's been taken out of business? So there's two questions you've brought up. I think your dad is absolutely correct that honor and trustworthiness is significant and important. But the two questions that I heard you talk about were honesty, but also loyalty. And I think both are important. What we have seen is a removal of loyalty or obligation in the workplace. Companies are no longer keeping people hired for 40 years. And people are no longer staying with companies. If a better opportunity shows up across the street and they can earn $2 an hour or more, they're gone. Now, loyalty is different than honesty. And this goes back to my earlier statement about being clear. I'm going to hire you to do a job. I'm going to pay you for this outcome. And we're going to have a relationship. Here's what my expectations are. What are your expectations? I tell you. You tell me. We get clear with that. And if you're just in it for the money, maybe that's okay. As long as you're not lying to me and saying, oh, no, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my career and retire. And two weeks later, you're out the door. (laughs) So there's a difference between the honesty and the loyalty piece. What in in your experience in the past few years, what has, and I guess for lack of better terms, it seems that we have a problem with a group called millennials. And, uh, you know, I had a young man that worked for me, uh, and I won't go into all of the details, but 28 years old, and his mommy was still doing his laundry. And... Uh, and he wound up to be a terrible employee and um, you know he left before I could 
let him leave, you know, mm-hmm. before I told him to leave. But uh, he was, you know, you couldn't depend on him to show up on time. You couldn't depend on him for anything. And uh, it, within a couple of weeks, uh, I'm lucky my hair has grown back. Mm-hmm. So this is such a great subject to bring up because it opens up. Before we get into oh, it too yeah, much, let's sure uh, we'll take our first break and then we'll come back and you can have. We'll have at minutes. it. We'll open that can of worms and yes, see what sir. comes out. And by the way, the this ad that I'm fixing to play is uh, Rocky Blyer, and it is he is one of the nicest men I know, uh, a football player, and. Uh, he was well known as a veteran and injured in Vietnam and came back and still won when when he was told he couldn't walk or wouldn't walk again he came back and with the Pittsburgh Steelers won four Super Bowl rings and Rocky and I've gotten to be friends and I love it when we start talking or he starts talking about Bradshaw and uh, mm. You know, he'll he'll say the first thing that when you walk in a room and Terry Bradshaw's there, you start laughing. And uh, anyway, uh, he's done this spot for Warriors to Citizens, a group that I highly respect and am proud to be working with. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to America's Web Radio, and our guest today is Jeff Friedel, and uh, Jeff was talking to us about his business, consulting, and uh, I just asked him about the impact of the millennials, which uh, they have certainly had their impact. David, this is such an interesting subject to talk about, because... Unlike almost any other time in history, the workplace is populated by multiple generations. Typically, one generation would retire or move on as the next moves into the workplace. But we've seen an extended life cycle of people, perhaps even you and I, who get to work as we get older, who are still in the workforce as succeeding generations come in. So there's a conflict in style that causes misunderstanding and challenges and you were talking briefly about a specific experience that you had with a young man who was um how can i say this politely 
let's just say he was not the best worker. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, I think you need to go back a little bit to the 60s and the 70s and the 80s when these young people were being um, raised. Uh, The summer of love, independence, freedom, craziness. And then we have a generation of parents that not only benefit from the economic engine of this country and have a lot more money than usual, a lot more leisure time, but are dead set against their kids missing out. The FOMO, fear of missing out factor, comes in. So a lot of the millennials' parents gave them so much and so much more. Uh, There's a saying that it's better to prepare your kid for the road than it is to prepare the road for your kid. And yet we saw a lot of parents preparing the roads for their kids, not letting them develop the skills. As a result, we've got a group of young people, some of whom are amazing, brilliant, over-the-top contributors because they've really grabbed on to the freedoms that they've had and to the opportunities that they've been given and learned amazing things. Others, unfortunately, not so much and are sitting back and have an expectation that everyone's supposed to get a prize at the end of the race. <laughs> so we've, we've created an environment that has done a disservice to these young people, and in some cases, we are struggling with the consequences of that today. My thing to you is, what do we do now? What do we do now? How do we take whatever lemons we've been served and dish up a tasty lemonade. You know, I thoroughly agree. And, and the, when I was, again, growing up, I played a lot of baseball, and uh, nobody was going to get second base other than me. And mm. uh, I was very competitive. And uh, then they, then I decided after I had graduated that I wanted to give back some and so and I I was very fortunate all of my coaches were just fabulous you know and they Mm -hmm. they loved competition and uh, it was the same way in the band Uh, you know I played uh, B flat cornet and uh, we had competition there on who would be first chair or second chair third chair whatever Mm -hmm. and you know in my opinion the united states with all of its greatness is great because of competition and when they took the you know when you mentioned the fact everybody gets a trophy even if they're breathing breathing you know that's that doesn't build character what builds character in my opinion is competition and if you want to be the best and you got to beat out jeff and paul and sam and whoever else and and this stuff today that talking about not i can barely keep my composure when i think about it guys playing on girls teams and girls playing on guys teams you know that's that's baloney in my opinion and uh, if you know a guy should be able to run faster in most cases not all cases but in most cases or lift more weight or and it's sort of like being in the service i don't know what they taught you at west point but i know what i learned in basic and ait is that one 
as a gentleman, I don't want, want women going into war, into battle. Uh, certainly they can serve, and a lot of them serve quite honorably as nurses or whatever the case might be, and I don't think they should necessarily sit in the tent and sew, but at the same token, the thought of a lady being captured, uh, I just I can't take, you know. And, uh, and they can't, you know, I'm sure that West Point, one of the major things they teach you is that you have your buddy's back and your buddy has your back. And uh, when you jump in the foxhole, you want to be sure you're jumping in with somebody that's going to cover your six. So this is an excellent question. And, you know, when you talk about what we've been taught as we've grown up, one of the important things that I've been taught is keep your eye on the ball. Oh, yeah. Remember what's important and don't be distracted by the fans in the stadium catcalling or waving things at you, causing you to create an error. When you're in the game, keep your head in the game. And I I taught my sons that, and this is the way life is, in my opinion, but say you're playing baseball and you're in the defense right now and I'm on second base and every batter is going to hit that ball to me. Either it's going to be a grounder or a fly ball. So what am I going to do with it? And this is life in business. Maybe there's a guy on first or maybe there's a guy on second or third or whatever. So what am I going to do with the ball when it comes to me? Is it a fly or is it going to be a grounder? And you have to make a decision. But like you said, keep your eye on the ball and wait for it to come to you. You know, and it's great because we learn more, at least I don't know about you, but I've learned more as a parent than almost anything else. So what am I trying to teach my kids and how do I give them the best opportunities for success? And one of the little cliches that I share with them or that I reinforce is I don't really care as much about what you do. I care more about what gets done. So this applies specifically to business. In fact, I was just having breakfast with a gentleman today, very, very successful businessman, run a lot of businesses. And he was sharing a story about at one point, he he wasn't treated as he should have been treated because when his boss went looking for him, He was on the golf course on a Friday afternoon. And he said, but the end result was I was producing 150% of what my plan was, doing one and a half times more than I should have been. What do you care if I'm on the golf course on a Friday afternoon? Would you rather have me working 80 hours a week and producing less? Of course not. Of course not. So staying focused on what's important, focusing on what gets done as opposed to how you do it, I think are critical success factors. And this segues nicely into a challenge that we're going to see now and in the next five to ten years. You and I remember, we've lived a while, we've got a life of experiences. We remember, I don't want to say the slower times, but perhaps the more easily understandable change. Today, change is happening so quickly, 
and the pace of change is rapidly accelerating, so much so that the skills people have are becoming obsolete prematurely. We've just, I'm going to make a lot of people unhappy when I say this, but we've just spent a lot of time and energy focusing on STEM in education. Focus on science, technology, engineering, math. Teach your kids how to code. If your child knows how to code, they'll be successful when they grow up. Well, I don't think I'm the first one to say this, but let me make no mistake. It's not going to be that much longer before the machines are doing all the coding, and we're not going to need programmers, at least not quite as many as we have today. So unless you teach your children how to learn new skills rather than give them a body of knowledge, they're going to struggle being successful as the pace of change continues to pick up. Well, you know, there's a... Another factor that I, I, I've been very blessed that because uh, I wouldn't have known how to handle it, and I, if whatever I did would have been a very poor handling. But uh, my two boys never ever got into drugs, and had they, and I've got so many friends, I, I even friends that have lost their kids mm-hmm. to drugs, and uh, I was just uh, very fortunate that. Uh, that was never their thing, and they never ran with a crowd that was mm-hmm. into drugs. Mm-hmm. They had cars from the get-go, and we didn't choose their friends. They chose their own friends. And uh, one of them's a, a CFO of a, of a major, major corporation, and the other, other son is a major in the Air Force. And I'm highly proud of both of them, but I... I sometimes think about, I don't know what we did right or what we did wrong, but at least they never got into drugs. It, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And um, we, can, we can learn. There's a, there's a Bible verse that says, Love color covers a multitude of sins. And as parents, we don't always know the right things to do. But if we can continue to love our children well we stand a better chance of them avoiding some of the pitfalls. And it's not just drugs or pornography. People can be distracted by their time spent on activities that are not productive. TikTok, Instagram, there's a thousand different ways for you to be entertained today that, are, that's gonna, that can possibly take your eye off the ball. Jeff, we're going to have to take another break. Uh, We'll come back with Jeff Friedel after this. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the American You're listening Broadcast to America's Network. Web Radio, and we're glad to have listening. you listening in as I play over myself with a with a uh, spot, a promo. But we're uh, enjoying being with Jeff Friedel and talking about his business, which is helping other businesses. Um, this uh, we sort of have the same approach as I had built an ad agency. I was one of the first that I know of, anyway, to use the term B2B and business-to-business. And uh, that's the way I I did my ad agency. And, you know, I didn't go in telling them that I knew better than they did. I went in telling them or asking them what they wanted and what they were looking for and then went from there. But I I was going to ask you when we were talking about uh, the uh, pandemic and and the effects on your business or the effects on all businesses, you know, how many books do you think will be written about it? Oh, my goodness. Um, there are so many different aspects of the fallout that need to be addressed. There will be case studies and books about how people respond and the different responses that people take. Um, and it's easy to be critical when you have 2020 hindsight, <laughs> there's always a way of looking back that you can see it could have been better. You and me, we could have invested in GameStop that day before and sold it right when it was at its peak if we'd have thought about it a little bit more. But in the moment, it's hard to make those decisions. Similarly, as people grapple with these seismic changes, to the way we live, to the way we work, to the future, I think there's going to be an opportunity to figure out how we could have done it better. And how much of a uh, factor do you think this will be in uh, university classes and in Uh, business schools? uh, Now you're speaking to some of my favorite areas. Um, we were just talking a little bit prior, the, before the break, about education and how it's important for, for us to teach people how to learn, how to be agile, how to understand and be resilient and have to reinvent themselves. The institutions that we have of education have existed for many years, and for a long time they were okay. I don't believe that we are preparing our kids, be it at the undergraduate or at the college level, sufficiently for the world that they're about to walk into when they graduate. Why? Great question. Everything is changing so quickly. 
if you're an electrical engineer, you're probably okay. If you're a computer programmer, you're challenged. If you're a truck driver, the self-driving trucks are coming. If you're a radiologist trying to pick out what a few little blips and dots on an x-ray look like, your days are numbered because the machines are going to do it better. Think about this. This is one we've seen in our lifetime. I used to know some really great travel agents. How many great travel agents do you know today? (laughs) None. Not well. There may be some, but they're very specialized. That, That role has gone, and those people have had to reinvent themselves. I think... From an education perspective, our energy needs to be focused on building curiosity. Your sons have done exceptionally well as a CFO and in service to our country, probably because they've been curious. They've got a growth mindset. They're willing to learn and continue to develop. The number one thing when people ask me, Jeff, what's the number one thing that you should teach your kids in today's world? I think you need to teach your kids how to be able to ask for help before they need it. Collaboration, we all know, is important. But the ability to be humble, the ability to be wise, the ability to be courageous enough to ask for help before you need it, I think that's going to serve our young people well as the world continues to change and evolve at an ever more rapid pace. Do you think they're taught the skills to recognize when they need help before they ask for it? Are any of us? It's not something that comes natural to the human species, especially not in America, where we, if nothing, don't hold on to our rugged independence, which is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. However... We need to also adopt the skill of being able to ask for help in a constructive and positive way. I don't think anyone needs to be a doormat. I don't think you need to be someone's servant. But you do need to be able to figure out how to work with people and recognize that you can't do it all by yourself. Or that whatever you can do by yourself, you can't scale it for impact by yourself. I think there's a song that covers that. No Man is an Island. There you go. Uh, Mm -hmm. Which we aren't. Even even during the pandemic, you still came in contact with people, whether it was on the phone or or the the Zoom conference that everybody seems to be doing. And, uh, you know, I'm not... I like a one-on-one or a, or a, a group that you can I, – I think the organ in the human, and I, I'm sure you've addressed this in, in your consulting, the organ in the human that tells the most about a person is their eyes. And uh, I think it's important to have eye contact with whoever you're with or whoever you're working with or – you know, if I ever had a boss that wouldn't look at me, I'd either have an inferiority complex that I was the ugliest, ugliest duckling in the room or that he, he or she was not telling the truth. 
David, this is such an important point, and we've talked a lot about my consulting opportunities. I also do a fair bit of coaching, and when we talk about coaching, I'm not just saying life coaching, although it's a holistic experience, but executive coaching to enable people in the workplace to succeed. And one of the largest challenges that we have, whether you're a top performer or whether you're just a solid contributor, is your ability to interact with other people. And it's only getting worse. These things here, these little pieces of technology that we call a phone that are labor-saving devices, are fantastic. They're great. But they provide a barrier between two people that inhibits that deep relationship. Um, just let me talk before I forget. You talk about the pandemic and how that what we've learned from it. The incidence of anxiety in young people has gone through the roof uh, in all people with folks being locked in their homes. An inability to get act and get out and interact with other people is just detrimental to our well-being. Uh, that's what we've seen happen as a result of the coronavirus forcing folks not to be able to interact. But in the workplace, whether it's in today's world or once we finally get back to work, there's still a huge component of success that's dependent upon our ability to interact with other people. And how do we do that? How do we build that trust? How do we become courageous enough to be transparent and vulnerable? How do we interact and know how to interact with folks? Sometimes it's necessary to have an external person come in and provide some perspective. You know that old saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, that's physically impossible. Gravity just isn't going to let that happen in the real world. We need other people who can help give us perspective and show us where our blind spots are so that we can be better. There's a lot of great people that are running around not fulfilling their potential, and they don't maybe even know why. They just know they're struggling, and they need that perspective, that third party that can look in and help them out. With that said, obviously we're we're very fortunate in Atlanta to have... Um, one of the most successful franchises ever and a, a, a total pioneer in the business. And uh, what would you tell, how would you improve on Chick-fil-A? I love Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. But let's never forget what Truett Cathy said. No money, no mission. Yes, Chick-fil-A is a force for good in our society, and it comes through in the culture and the interaction of all the people on their staff. But they're a business as well, and they need to operate as a business. How could I improve Chick-fil-A? I think it'd be a little bit arrogant for me to have an answer right now. But I do know this. All of us have opportunities for improvement. All of us need someone that we can trust, who's on our team, who we can go to for that confidential advice, that honest perspective. 
that get me out of the echo chamber of my head and help me make sure that I'm seeing this correctly kind of perspective. Um, a lot of companies now are going to incorporating an internal, let's just call it internal coaching function, because they recognize that even though I have the best technicians, the wisest consultants, the hardest working laborers, sometimes we need to support those people just as human beings. And if we do so, not only does their productivity increase and their loyalty increase and turnover decrease, but we've created an overall happier, healthier culture for our company. So how could I improve Chick-fil-A? I think they're doing a pretty darn good job. But I know that everyone's got an opportunity for improvement. You just need to look around. Where does, uh, in your philosophy of business and consulting, where does religion fit in? Or does it? So this is also such an important thing. Such an important thing. And I'm going to start this, this part of our conversation around the word respect. We're all humans. We all see the world differently. No matter what I think or what you think or how much I can empathize with you, I'm not really going to know where you're coming from. So I think it's really important that we start off with respect. The th- so with that as a foundation, when we talk about religion, religion is part of who you are. It's part of how you show up. It's part of how you treat other people. None of that is a job-specific thing, but all of that plays a role in how you do your job-specific thing. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I'll, I'll go a little bit further in that, uh, sure. as I've mentioned, we do uh, a lot with veterans and, in turn, uh, chaplains. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, a close friend that's a chaplain, and uh, I say a close friend. Maybe I'm putting words in my mouth instead of his, but we are friends. And, uh-huh. uh, his, for lack of better words, his business of being a chaplain, and, and, it, and it is in a sense. But more and more corporations are coming to him wanting him to spend an hour a week in their business. And, you know, he said it's been flattering and and interesting that, you know, they give him an office, he walks in at 9 o'clock, and at 9.02 he has an appointment with somebody that just wants to talk and uh, or wants to talk about the business or wants to, you know, who knows what. But they feel more comfortable going to a chaplain than they do going to the HR person or maybe their boss or whatever. And that I had never realized that this was going on in the background, that corporations were hiring chaplains, having their own chaplain, in-house chaplain, coming once or twice a week, and I guess in some cases daily. I, I can't say that for a fact. I don't know, but... I know on a weekly basis. Corporations have long provided benefits to their employees. 
never used to get health insurance. Now health insurance is a non-negotiable. Everybody should get health insurance, although it doesn't happen. Uh, sometimes you get a company car. Maybe there's a pool table or free food. Those are all benefits to enhance the employee's experience. Now, if you want to have a chaplain in your workplace, I think that that's a great benefit. I think that's probably the most important benefit you can have, and this is my personal view. If you haven't sorted out what you think about your theology, in other words, is it just the humans or is there someone else? If you haven't really stopped and thought about that, I think you need to do that. I think you need to get right with who you think is out there, if anyone. Is there a God? What kind of a God? How many gods? Where do I fit relative to God? These are really important questions from a human perspective, not a business perspective. So if my company is going to allow me the opportunity to explore some of that and to get right, get myself right, I think that's a great benefit. I just, uh, you know, I never really thought about it uh, until we were talking. Uh, Paul and I were talking, and and he brought it up that, uh, you know, many he's a very well-known chaplain, and Mm -hmm. many uh, corporations come to him to see if uh, if he can do this for him. Okay, as we were talking before we went on the air, um, and and you sort of said it since we've been on the air, but you seem to, uh, when you're going in to work with a company, take your crystal ball with you and saying that, Yes, we can talk about today, but we also need to be talking about the future. And am I off on that, or do you have a crystal ball? Oh, wait a second. I think I've got... (laughs) Oh, darn it. It's in my other trousers. I don't have the crystal ball with me today. Ah. Yeah, Jiminy Cricket. There there is no real crystal ball, but there are frameworks for understanding, and there's a fairly rigorous process that we can go through to help clarify what's most important at this particular time. Uh, I like to think of it as four steps. Uh, Discover, solve, deliver, and grow. If you know there's something wrong, but you're not really sure what it is, you know that you can be better Maybe your competitor is eating your lunch. Maybe you're losing business. There's something happening that's not good. You're still in the discover phase. So there's a way to go through and surface what some of those things can be. Once you've gotten through that and you've got your head around, okay, this is this is an important thing that we really need to do something about, then we can move into the solution or the solve phase. Try to figure out how do we solve it because it may not be the same for you that it is for everyone else. There are positives and negatives, trade-offs and compromises in any action. But delivering that solution, identifying that solution is the next step. Once you get clarity and agreement and an acceptance of what the trade-offs and consequences are, 
then you can go to the delivery phase where you actually try to see if it's going to work. You want to roll this thing out and see what happens. That's going to provide a lot more instruction and learning, and through that process, you're going to come up with some answers. And once you get to those answers, then you can try to grow or scale. So often, I've seen companies skip a step and end up producing something that's hollow, inefficient, or just plain wrong, and they've got to go back and start over again. So when I work with folks to help them get clarity, we want to make sure that we're addressing each of those stages in the right sequence. No crystal ball, but plenty of frameworks and process. So in doing what you do, how far out do you, you know, it's not a solution for tomorrow. It's a solution for two weeks, three weeks, four years. How far out do you try to go? And how flexible is that plan? Great is is a great question, and everyone would love to have a solid answer. And when I say it depends, I'm not trying to dodge the question, and I'm not talking about underwear. I'm talking about it really depends on the organization and where you are and, and what the environment is. The world is changing quickly, so. When we deal with strategic issues, what's going to be our value contribution? How are we going to differentiate what we do? How are we going to position what we do? That tends to be a more long-term approach, a more strategic approach. And we can look a couple years down the road. However, if we run out of money next quarter, the best strategic plans are useless because we're gone bankrupt. So we've got to understand what's important and necessary in the present to be able to grow the business into that strategy that we see. What do you see when you go into a business? What do you see as the biggest challenge? So I don't go to every business. There are lots of businesses that are incredibly successful and they're doing it their own way, and that's great. There are a lot of businesses that are somewhat ruthless, mercenary, all about the numbers, and they're incredibly successful, and I wish them the best as well. There are other businesses that are doomed from the start or resistant to change. Those are also businesses that I'm not going to go into because my value is never going to stick. It's just not going to work. So for the type of business that I work with, a successful business that cares about its people, that wants to be sustainable and grow, those are the type of businesses that I work with. And in that arena, for those businesses, typically they're at a point of inflection. They've been doing well and they've grown from 50 to 150 people and now the span of control has gotten too big and they don't know how to make the next leap. Or they've been around for a long time and like we were discussing, there's a new generation of people coming into the workforce and there's a disconnect between 
the divisional vice presidents and the new managers because they see the world in a different way and they're not exactly sure how to bridge that gap. So the issues that I speak to are all about being a good boss. What does that mean and how can I do that? How do I take care of the people for whom I'm responsible to give leadership to? Jeff, how do people get a hold of you? So they can just email me at jeff at copperdalelane.com. That's copper, like the metal, Dale Lane, all one word, copperdalelane.com. And Jeff is J-E-F-F. And you'll come out and and is it uh, the first visit is... The first visit is free? No, not exactly. Sorry. So the first David's going to pay for the first visit. So don't you worry. If you're a a loyal listener, David Moxley is going to pay for the first visit. I'm happy to do an initial diagnostic uh, and have a conversation. So the first conversation is fine. And if it turns out that there is a legitimate need, something that I can impact uh, we'll work from there do you uh you find that on your first visit are the manager or the owner has any uh reluctancy to uh open his robe so to speak like i said the people that i work with recognize that they want to get better and they realize that they don't have a monopoly on all the good ideas so they are interested in learning it may not produce anything but at least they're willing to have that conversation and most of them know that there's an opportunity to improve now does that mean that all the people in the organization are going to be happy No. Some people think that they've got an answer. But in general, if we're going to work together, I'm going to trust that you're telling me the truth, and I'm going to give you the best value that I can. Let's talk about your business for about two seconds. But do you see it expanding, and would you ask somebody in to analyze what you're doing? I would love to have someone come in. I do that all the time. I am very self-reflective, and I have people that I've known for a long time who I go to for external advice. I'm just as good as anyone else in terms of blind spots, and I've had my fair share of those as well. So you're sort of a business psychiatrist, huh? In a way. <laughs> a business therapist, a business psychiatrist. I've got a good friend of mine who calls himself the business therapist. But sure, I think that that's a, 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 an interesting way to put it. Yes. Well, you know, everything has an odor, and some can smell it better than others. And. Uh, I, I would say that uh, that's true with some businesses stink and some cover it with perfume. And uh, you, uh, your your position is needed in, in many cases, I'm sure. And uh, 
we're going to have to uh, wrap it up here shortly. But uh, is there any last words of wisdom you want to give our, our audience? Yeah, sure. I um, I just am honored to have the platform and to be able to share some of my thoughts. I think that anyone who's listening, um, I wish you the best. I hope that you've learned something here, and maybe we'll stop and reflect on where you sit. And uh, to David's point earlier about where you sit theologically, uh, where you sit in your business. Do you actually want to improve? Is this something that you'd like to see and change? And stop and think about it. Because we often just make do with workarounds. There's little things that are annoying. There's big things that are troubling us. And usually we put a Band-Aid on it, turn our head the other direction, or figure out a way to hop on the left foot and make sure that we still get done everything that needs to get done. Well, stop that. Just stop. Just go ahead and find a way. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's someone else. But find a way to address those things that are really causing you irritation, that are frictions in your business, so that they can be dealt with. More often than not, I think you'll find that there are some easy solutions that someone can help you put in place so that you can begin to operate in a healthy way going forward. Jeff, thank you for coming in. And i got to publicly say and publicly apologize for last week. I, I made a mistake. And uh, not the first, and I'm sure it won't be the last. But I'm sorry for any inconvenience that I caused you. And... Uh, I'm glad we could make it up this week, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And I'm sure that anybody that was listening or anybody that will listen to the uh, podcast will get something out of it as well. So thank you again for coming in. Uh, it's my pleasure, and you've been a, a decent sort, making a, a wonderful apology. And it just goes to show that you're actually human like the rest of us and do make a mistake from time to time. That I do. Thank you for being with us. Pleasure. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.